Hello, Spotlight friends. Welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight. I'm here with my friend, Jill Stepanek. I'm so excited to be talking with him all about the Eucharistic revival. Joel, thank you so much for being here with us. I mean, you got to tell us what your new role is. When did you start? How is it going? Last time that we spoke to you, you were in another role. And so I know that you made that transition. And and funny enough, we talked about transitions the last time that we spoke. So how has that been going for you? And what are you doing over at the Congress? Yeah, it has been a journey. I am now the Chief Mission Officer for the National Eucharistic Congress, and I am just four months old in that role. So it is brand new, but it has been so much fun. And what that means is that I get to work with the grassroots efforts of the Eucharistic Revival and how we foster what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do, and how we are responsive to those things. I also get to manage a lot of the day-to-day aspects behind the scenes of what the Revival is doing and the Eucharistic Congress is doing. And that's a lot of fun for me, too. So a lot of things that don't get seen but are necessary in making sure that we are all working towards some cool common goals. Ah, that's beautiful. And I love some good behind the scenes work because then it's also, it's always so great to see the fruits of those things. It's like teaching your child to eat like and not throw their food everywhere. And then just one day they eat without throwing their food everywhere. And you're just so proud of them and you see it from the background. And then you just think to yourself, I did that, but it's for the goodness of other people. So these restaurant workers don't have to clean Cheerios off the floor. So you're doing that for the church, all of the background things for our benefit. And that is so cool. And I have a question for you, which you've probably answered a ton of times to a ton of different people, but Okay, so say I'm a regular person just walking around my hometown parish in the middle of Florida. What is the revival? And is it like what happened at Asbury College? What does that mean for Catholics? And how can I be a part of it? That's such a good lead. And let's start there, because I think what happened at Asbury College is a great example of what revival truly is. Revival is the work of the Holy Spirit. We don't get to choose the moment. We don't get to choose the time. But we can call for it and we can beg for it, and we can trust that if the Lord is asking us to enter into that begging and that humility, that he's going to respond and make good on the promise. What I love about the Asbury Revival, if we can like go down that rabbit hole for a second, because I feel like it's so appropriate to this, is all of the periphery stories that didn't necessarily get told, but if you dig for them, they're there. Like the guy who preached that sermon texted his wife afterwards and was like, wow, another stinker tonight. Like he felt he had completely bombed out. Mm. And if you watch the last few minutes of the sermon, I don't know that it was bad. I didn't hear the whole thing. But the last few minutes aren't anything earth shattering. It's like we've been to conferences, right? You and I have been to conferences where there's the moving music at the oh, end. Oh, for sure. And it was pretty chill. Message. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was just like relaxed. He made some analogy to an itchy sweater. It was okay. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. But that community is accustomed. If you dig into that college and that religious tradition, they're just accustomed for anticipating and asking for and begging revival. And that was the crux of the message. We can't share the love of God unless we have an experience of the love of God. How can you share something you don't know, right? That's revival. And I think we can leverage that moment to reorient ourselves. And what is a very Catholic understanding of revival too? What is the work of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? It's revival. 
And it's being able to proclaim the work that God desires to do in the hearts of every person in interior renewal so that there can be an exterior renewal of our parishes and our communities and ultimately the culture in which we live. So in this moment, the Eucharistic revival was born out of the hearts of the bishops, I truly believe being broken at seeing where Eucharistic belief is in the United States. And like, that's important because the Eucharist is the thing that gives us our character as Catholics. Mm. Jesus says, you know, salt loses its saltiness with what can it be seasoned? Well, if Catholics lose this saltiness, what are you going to season us with? What makes us, what makes us different? This is one of the differentiators, a big differentiator, the source and summit of our ecclesial life, of our, our spiritual life, really what should be the thing that we orient all of our lives around. And so when we lose that, we, we actually lose who we are. And if you lose who you are, how do you ever find your way? How do you ever have a North Star and a, a place that you're able to find yourself in the world. So the bishop said, this is a moment where we have to beg for revival, pray for revival, and then be working towards how we receive that. So we talked about Asbury. Let's talk about Billy Graham. Mm. Another, another example from the Protestant tradition. I love Billy Graham because Billy Graham did revivals. What did Billy Graham do before those revivals? For a year before he'd go into a town to do a revival, they would work with the churches and they would say to those churches, listen, we don't know what's going to happen in this revival. We trust the Holy Spirit will show up. We trust that revival will happen. We trust that hearts will be moved. Your churches need to be ready to handle the baptized and the converts that are going to roll in looking for a community. And I don't know if they said it in these words, but essentially it was, we don't trust you necessarily to do that right now. Like you're not ready for it, but you know what? We're going to take a year to get you ready. We're going to get you there. And that's what they did. And that's why those revivals were powerful. Yes, the revival itself was a powerful event, but people had a place to go. And so that's one aspect of what we're looking at with the Eucharistic revival is how do we prepare for what the Holy Spirit's going to do? And in that, how do we cultivate what the Holy Spirit already has done? I think there have been fires of Eucharistic revival in this country burning for decades within different apostolates and movements and organizations in parishes and in dioceses. This has been happening, but now we can cultivate those wildfires under this umbrella and say, it's time to really burn brightly. And how do we come together and bring coals back into the fire so they get hot again? And how do we respect what the work of the Holy Spirit has been? And then make way for the work the Holy Spirit wants to do now by begging for revival. And then how do we set ourselves up to cultivate the fruits of that? So it's those three movements. What has been? What is happening? How do we bring that together so that's a bright flame in this world? How do we beg for revival so it happens in a new way? And how are we creating systems and structures and new ways of thought and new ways of teaching so that when revival happens, because we trust that the Lord will make it happen. I believe he's made the promise and he'll make good on the promise. But we've got to make good on being ready to harvest that fruit mm. and catch that fruit and nurture those seeds. So that's what the Eucharistic revival is. And in that, there's cool stuff. There's programs and there's training. There's a Eucharistic Congress in July of 2024 that's preceded by a national Eucharistic pilgrimage that happens in May 
through July, where the Blessed Sacrament is going to be moving from four corners of the United States all to Indianapolis over the course of several weeks. I think that's going to be powerful and impact millions of people. I know you know a little something <laughs> about that for sure. We talk about that quite often. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these are big moments and they're plans that the Lord has put on our heart that we're putting back at the Lord's feet and saying, we believe you want this. Mm. You've got to make something grow mm. from these from these efforts. Ooh, that's a word. That's what revival is, huh? Yeah, those are some words. And I think something that really stuck out to me as you were sharing is that we have to be prepared to receive people after they have an experience with the Lord. And I think a lot of us in Catholic circles and Christian circles, there's not that like preparedness once people have an encounter with the Lord. We're ready to launch people into these events and these things and these awesome conferences and awesome talks, but really accompanying people and saying, we know that you've had this moment and we're here to be with you after this moment and not make this just some singular thing that you're experiencing and then never being able to do anything afterwards. I think that's super powerful. And I know a lot of people, you know, have felt like, man, I I used to be really close to God when I was younger, when I received my first communion. And then when I go to mass with my parents and then I just kind of got older, life got hard. I got, I kind of strayed away from God. You know, I got busy. I didn't really go to mass on Sundays anymore. I didn't have a prayer life and yada, yada. And I didn't really feel like anyone was there to accompany me. Once I went on that young adult retreat, I went and then I came home and then there was nothing. Or I went to that, you know, men's retreat for fathers and I got to bear my soul with other dads. And then I came home and life was life again. So it's like, how do we sit with people and really become the body of Christ after those things? And so the revival, I like how you said, it's like meant to be something. So parishes can be places where people can create those communities and then also create them in their homes. And that's beautiful. So then people can actually feel like they can have something after those experiences. So for you, I I know this wasn't one of the questions I asked you before, so feel free to opt out. We can just delete this part if you don't want to answer. But for you, what has the Eucharist, I mean, to be doing something like this, to be the chief missions officer, I mean, you have to like believe that the Eucharist is powerful and like Jesus is really at work. So for you, have you had like a particular, you know, experience, encounter with Jesus that kind of thrust you into being like, man, I really want other people to be able to have this kind of opportunity and experience? Because this is like, you know, with the Eucharist already being outside of Catholic circles, pretty controversial, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of a lot to put yourself in that position of saying, okay, I want you all to believe that Jesus is going to do something. That's so like, what, what has Jesus done for you? That's kind of put you in that position. That's such a good question. I never opt out of questions. So we're going to dig into this. Okay. Cause I'm like, you could totally opt out. We can just delete this part, but I'm, I'm glad. Yeah. There are lots of big moments. And, but I think it's not even just the big moments. It's like all the little moments that build any relationship. And I think in my walk with the Lord, I've done different podcasts and interviews where I've shared like different stories and about me wrestling with belief in college and coming to know kind of through an intellectual means that Jesus is mm-hmm. present in the blessed sacrament. And like, that's part of falling in love. You learn about somebody, but 
But as I think about, and there have been other moments where the Eucharist has been present in a a big way in my life. At my parish where I grew up, there was a a Eucharistic chapel. It It was built in a time when the instructions for building a church were to have actually a separate Eucharistic chapel. So sometimes if you see churches built in this particular era, uh, they may have like a side chapel for, for the Eucharist because that was the instruction for building them. So this parish did. Um, it was beautiful. It was very peaceful. It was very quiet. But that chapel, even as a teenager, as I was involved in youth group, was like the center of my world. And as I grew up, I would move to a new parish and that chapel would kind of become the center of my world. Where it'd be the quiet place I would go to be with Jesus and the place that I would just sit when I was really sad or I had a big decision. Um, I remember having one night when I was in uh, even middle school, so pre-youth group, right? Where I had an awful night. I had a huge blot with my friends. And when you're middle school, that's like the worst thing ever. And I like ran away like from this mm. group of friends. And I ran to the church like that's because I'm like, where else am I going to go? And I'm in eighth grade and I'm totally broken. And and I that's where I went, because the only person in the world I'm like, who who can get me, the only place I feel safe is this place. Mm. And I think that's where my heart is, because. A lot of folks don't always feel that. And they have valid reasons for that. Some people like, listen, man, the last place I feel safe is the church. And they're and they're going to give me some valid reasons for that. And that breaks my heart because the reasons are never Jesus wounded me. Like when you dig into it, it's somebody there wounded me, sometimes in really, really serious ways that are not negatable. Mm-hmm. And other times people are like, I mean, I don't know. I just I don't I, I don't I don't understand that. I don't believe that because nobody's ever really taught them or invited them into an encounter. That that belief I've had people who say, you know. I guess I could, I understand why the church teaches that. Well, let me be real with you. I, I go to a church. It doesn't seem like anybody believes that. Mm. Like if that was Jesus, right? Like, I mean, shouldn't you guys be bouncing off the walls? Shouldn't this be like insane? Shouldn't, shouldn't people at least look happy? And all of those things kind of break my heart. Cause I'm like, Jesus said he'd be with us to the end of the age. And he's in every tabernacle in the world, like waiting to just be present to us in whatever life circumstances bring. And it's been a tremendous place of comfort for me. And to be able to invite people into that, not for any gain or for money or or that's, what's beautiful about it. It's like, it's purely because I have this person that I know, and I know that he wants to know each person Mm. and that there's this place of encounter. When you go to sit before the Lord in the blessed sacrament, and even in a, a more profound way and in, in an intimate way, when you go to receive him in the blessed sacrament that you cannot find anywhere else. And that, and that's the, that's the saltiness, right? Because if you reorient your life towards that as the model of love and self-gift and sacrifice, well, then every other model of love can't supplant that, but needs to support that and has to be measured against that. Mm. And it changes who I am and it changes who we are. And that's worth sharing. And even being persecuted for, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a word. And definitely, I mean, right now in 2023, it is not the vibe to believe such things. And, you know, especially such intense belief and desires for people to want to know Jesus is definitely not something that is often, you know, received with open arms in this society. So that's like 
I mean, that's just, it's just, I always am so interested at in how people got there, whatever they're doing, you know, whether it's religious mm-hmm. sisters, brothers, priests, seminarians, people working for organizations, nonprofits. It's like, there's no way that you're doing this for cash <laughs> or for anything else, because it's like, there are so many people that just will just be so discouraging, you know, and the out, the outer world can be so discouraging. So that's really encouraging that you know that and that, you know, Jesus is giving you that comfort regardless. Something interesting that I heard the other day, I don't know if your kids are old enough to, are they like Disney Plus watchers or are you like? <laughs> they are, yep. Okay, got yeah, it. We just wrapped up season two of Animal Kingdom. Oh, last night. got it. Okay, yes. Oh, they have good taste. Yes, yeah, so... I've never watched many episodes, but there's a show that my niece loves. It's called High School Musical, the Musical, the Series. And it's a show (laughs) based on High School Musical. And one of the characters in it just had this like, in real life, this guy just had this like radical conversion. Like he got baptized and he like speaks at different churches now and at his concerts, he'll like share about the word. And it's just so beautiful to see like a conversion in real time. And he's like 23 years old. So it's, so he's definitely been persecuted from all angles. And something that he shared that I was watching the other day, he said for him being in Hollywood, he was saying, it's kind of like you grow up and you get kind of thirsty. And then in Hollywood, everyone's like, man, you know, here we have water. Like we have things that will make you feel hydrated. So then he goes and he drinks the water and he's like, I still feel kind of thirsty. Meanwhile, you know, Jesus is like, there's this well that you can drink out of and it has everlasting life in it. You're like, you'll never be thirsty again. But he just keeps ignoring it because he's like, no, other people say that they have water and they have things that I need. But he just goes to search in other ways. And then eventually he goes back to this well. And once he drinks that water and feels like and knows that Jesus is giving him everlasting life, he's like, wouldn't you want to share that well and that source of hydration and of nourishment with other people? And he's like, that would be insane to not want to share that. And this guy is like 23, you know, super famous. It's just like amazing to to think about what Jesus can do for people and how he can be so encouraging and and really make people so brave, you know, in ways that alternatively, I don't know if I could have that same kind of bravery if you would put me in front of people. So I think that's yeah. so beautiful. So thank you for sharing. And I have, you know, just as we round out this episode, just one more question for you. How can we live like a revival in our own lives? So like I'm waking up every day, working my nine to five, you know, eating Chick-fil-A for lunch, just trying to grind, make it through. How can I have an encounter with Jesus in my own life? Yeah, you actually outlined a great way of how you live revival. Because I think people might say, well, who is, who is this all for? Like, who's this really targeted at? I think it'd be easy for us to look at it and say, well, you know, the reason the revival is happening is because there was this Pew Research study done in <laughs> 2019 about the Catholics and only 30% of them believe in the real presence. And so... You know, we've got to got to figure that out. So one might think this whole thing is about going to the 70%. I think that's a part of it. But I think what is mind bending and what should convict us is I think the revival is more about the 30% mm. saying, what about your life needs to change so that your light shines before that 70%? Ooh, you know? Wow. That's, and like, that's a because challenge. Because revival happens in my heart, right? Mm. It's exactly what you just described. 
I got to share this. I got to bring this well to other people. I don't know that people left the, I think part of it is people left the church because they didn't understand the teaching. And there's lots of reasons why people walk away for sure. I don't want to minimize that. But I think a part of it does have to do with like, are we living that? Mm. Are we compelling enough that people are like, show me where you got that living water. So I think ways that people can live that revival is one by going to the font, like make time to spend time with Jesus. And I know for some people it's like, man, this is a grind. Yeah. I once had a priest say years ago when I was in youth ministry, he's like, the problem with spirituality is everybody wants to have beautiful thoughts. So mm. exactly <laughs> why this stands out of my mind, because he said the word beautiful thoughts. And uh. that was just a really striking image to me. Like everyone wants to have beautiful thoughts in prayer. Like we want to have these moments of consolation, sure. revelations, and, and unity with Jesus. But nobody wants to, to put in the, the spiritual work necessary to get to the beautiful thoughts, right? Mm. I'm like, yeah, there's kind of a grind to spirituality and we, we want it to be easy, but there's work that the Lord needs to do on our hearts. He's got to chip away things in our lives. like and, and the Lord can do that, but we have to be present to the work. So I think the first thing is to be present. Go to spend some time in your parish Eucharistic chapel. Make it a 30 minutes a week thing. Uh, if you can't do 30 minutes, make it 15 minutes a week thing. Maybe you can do 15 minutes a day. Maybe it's on your way to work and you just pop in for a few minutes if you can go to a daily mass, do that, you know, increase your reception of the Eucharist, frequent confessions so that uh, even if you're not in a state of mortal sin and you're just clearing away the stuff that can get in the way of grace, right? But those are ways that we can start to live revival, lean into time with the Lord and ask pointed questions. We beg for a revival, but beg for it in my own life. Lord, make me new. Like, Lord, I, I, I do believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see, like, these are cries from scripture that we can echo back in our prayer to God. They're cries for revival, right? Like, I believe, help my unbelief. Mm. Lord, I, I want to see, you know, here's my friend. Can you, can you help him walk again? We'll lower him through the roof. These are all cries for revival. I think that we, that's, that's where we've got to be. And we have to start with ourselves because in youth ministry, you probably experience this too. When you say to young people, but truthfully, when you say it to adults as well, hey, we're going to pray. What do you need prayer for? People default to the external. My grandma, she's really sick. No doubt we should pray for your grandma. What do you need prayer for? Well, my brother also, no, I get you. What do you need prayer for? It's really uncomfortable to turn inward to ask for what I need. And right now, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in our world. Our world needs revival and renewal. It's not going to happen unless it happens in us first. So how do we, how do we experience that personal revival? Get in proximity with Jesus and ask for it, and then wait and be ready. Ooh, that's a word. That's a word. I just feel like, yeah, that's it. So, and end of episode. <laughs> end, wow. cut. end cut. Yeah, wow. Thank you so much. And we so appreciate you. Where can we find more information about the revival, the Congress, the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage, and where can we like really get involved? Yeah, there are two websites, the Eucharistic Revival is this big three-year process, again, setting us up to be able to go out on mission. EucharisticRevival.org is where you can find ways to get involved on a local level, ways to practically pray for the movement, ways to be a missionary in your own, in your own sphere of influence, right? Within that three-year movement, there's a moment, two big moments, actually, the National Eucharistic Pilgrimage and the National Eucharistic Congress. You can find information about those things at EucharisticCongress.org. So those two websites, and they're linked to one another. So if you go to one, you'll be able to easily hop to the other. 
those are places where you can find out about what the Lord is doing in the United States right now. Awesome. We'll make sure to put that in our show notes. Thank you so much, Joel. And we pray that you have a wonderful evening, a great weekend. Joel is a rock star. We're recording this at like 8 p.m. on a Friday, so he rocks. So thank you so much. Hope you get some rest and we'll be praying for revival for everyone listening and for everyone that's not listening as a church that we can really have encounter with Jesus. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for listening and thank you so much, Joel, for being our guest. I pray that this year of Eucharistic Revival is fruitful for all of you, whether you haven't been to church in a while or you're finding your way back. I hope that you have a true encounter with the Lord because that's what this is all about. I will be praying for you. Please pray for me. Talk to y'all soon. God bless. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.